love God's people. The thing I love to do to all of you is to get you all settled and sit down and then say what I'm about to say. You know where we're going. For uh, out of reverence of God's word, I'd ask that you stand as we read what he has revealed to us in John 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now this, uh, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Love God's people. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard a sermon or teaching or something on love. We like love as Christians a lot. Um, You've heard maybe love God or love others or love the world or something of that nature. There's a lot of talk of love there. We're commanded to love. We've just read this command, so it is a big thing. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about the idea of live God's story. Uh, We talked about a a Christ-centered life. I kind of raised the question or, or pushed against that, 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 that idea, saying oftentimes we say we want a Christ-centered life, but we have the wrong Christ. And so Jesus, in Luke 24, does us well to tell us that we need a balanced view of who Christ is according to all Scripture, not according to my preferences. And when we go to that Christ, that whole Scripture, uh, that whole uh, counsel of God definition and, and view and revelation of who Christ is, and we, and we have our lives centered on Christ that way, then we can have a Christ-centered life. I think love in, in, in Christian circles today is very much uh, the same kind of issue, is that we hear love one another, but we never really understand deeply what it means to love as Christ loves. Uh, oftentimes we end up with, I like my, this expression or that expression. So today I really want to ask that question. I think John 13 is a very, uh, a very pointed challenge to think about love uh, in, the, in the context of what's going on uh, in the rest of the chapter. This is a really weird um, spot to say this. If we read all of John 13, we don't have time for that, so I'll summarize it. All of John 13 uh, doesn't actually suggests, I encourage you to read it on your own, but it doesn't suggest that that's where Jesus is going with his teaching. So what happens in John 13 uh, is, uh, I think my Bible labels this, it's not like inspired word of God, it's just helpful for, you know, here's basically what happens. John 13 in my Bible reads, at the very beginning, there's a heading that says, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So that's nice. That's, I mean, that's good. That's, that's great. Um, uh, if I were to rewrite that, I don't feel like I'm doing the Bible wrong, but really what I do, because I'm super immature, is I write, uh, mine says, John 13, super awkward dinner party, uh, because it's 
really weird. It's really, really weird. Um, so what happens here in, uh, towards the end of this, uh, John 13, for just the academic side of it, John 13 begins what is known to scholars as the book of glory. Jesus has been talking about all this stuff that he's going to do. He's turning now here to the book of glory. He's going to be glorified, and he's going to be glorified. I just want to check this one. He doesn't say he's going to be glorified by his resurrection. He's glorified in his death. That's a big thing for us. He's glorified by being lifted up on the cross. That's where his glory is pointing, and we turn our focus towards that. We turn our focus, focus towards the cross, and he is just heading straight there. Just cannot lose focus of that. My mission is this. This is where we're going. And so the book of glory happens here. So he has this super awkward dinner party with the disciples. He hauls them in, uh, and we read here at the very beginning of, of John, uh, John 13, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour uh, had come. So he, he, it's the, the Passover, there's this, it's this big celebration. I won't get into that too much. This is when the Lamb of God will be slain. I guess this is when the Lamb is slain, and they remember this in Israel. This is what, or in Egypt, this is what happened. The Lamb was slain, and then we passed over because the blood of the Lamb covered the houses there, and now Jesus is going to be that Lamb whose blood will cover our sins on Passover. His disciples don't know that. He knows that. And so there's some awkwardness in there. And so he says, uh, he, he's sitting at this table with them. Jesus Lord and Savior, the teacher, the one who is thought to be this Messiah, this conquering king. And he says, hey, guys, I'm going to wash your feet now, which like is weird to us. So I'll just go with that. Like, it's just strange that he goes uh, that he goes there. I mean, what's really happening is he's flipping like social uh, uh, norms on their head. And he's not simply doing that. He's setting a precedent that then the disciples aren't quite sure they want to follow. It's like, hey, why don't we have a whole bunch of known rapists come and eat with us. That's weird. That's, uh, that's offensive. But then you're just going to keep doing this always, no matter what people say. Like, it's weird that way. And so he brings that in. He's like, what is happening here? And the Peter, lovely Peter, uh, hot and then cold Peter, my goodness, he's, I love him. He's like an embodiment of my heart. Um, he's like, no way, this is offensive, man. Like, I don't want to do this. So now you've got a disciple telling the teacher, like, don't do this. And Jesus says, there, there, Peter, cool it. I got to do it. He's like, okay, then give me a bath. So now we've got this guy asking Jesus to give a bath at a dinner party. We're still at a dinner party. Um, and so he gets, he, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to give you a bath. And then he gives, he washes all their feet. He gets done. <sighs> that was awkward. Verse 21, after, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled. And he said, truly, truly, one of you is going to betray me now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so we go there. So now everyone's looking around because they know the hour has come. Something's going to happen. One of you is going to betray you. And now, I mean, now we're in like dinner party uh, mode, like this story mystery thing. And now who's the guy? Everyone's wondering. He dips, his, he dips the morsel into the cup, gives it to Judas and says, go take care of things quickly. Judas, exit stage left. And then Jesus says, by the way, guys, it's my time and I'm going to leave. And you guys can't come with me. Like there's so many levels where (laughs) this is just not, if this happened at my house, I would chalk this up to a train wreck. Um, This is not how it's supposed to happen. And so then he says some nice things about love here. This is where our text is. But then Peter comes back, lovely Peter. He comes back. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks about the love thing. Like, where are you going? Like, can I come with you? And he says, no, you can't come with me. In fact, you're going to deny me in the next, like, 12 hours. Okay, so that's, that's chapter 13 of John. Why does he say they will know you because of my love? 
Like, why is that there? Like, you could put this teaching somewhere else, right? And it would make more sense. I think it's because we don't quite understand what, uh, what love is if we think about it on a surface level. If we look at the disciples, we see people like you or I who just don't quite get what Jesus is saying, who are trying, who are greedy, who are arrogant, who are selfish, who, who are wayward, who take half of the gospel and go spin it our own ways for our own ends. And some of us greedy want to go make a buck off of Jesus. And some of us, uh, just like these, an emotional teenager or whatever Peter is, want to be uh, not washed, but then completely washed, but then go to betray him or go to deny Jesus. And our hearts, we're a lot like the disciples. I think the disciples are there in the story for us to reflect on that. And Jesus says, my love is known not by the mess and the train wreck you are. Because, let's be, let's be honest, we're going to mess up every so often. We're going to do things uh, strangely uh, and off. We're going to miss the mark from time to time. But the thing that will make the world know that you are my disciples is that you have love for one another. That's so great. So, the urge for today, I'm not going to doctor it up. I don't really care about making flowery words for the Bible. Uh, the Bible says it pretty pointly. That's your instruction for today. Love one another. But if we're supposed to understand how to love uh, one another as Christ loves us, I think we need to understand, uh, we need to understand uh, what that love is. So today we're going to look at uh, out of all of the book of John when he tells us uh, to love. When Jesus says love one another. What is Jesus meaning? So we're going to jump in a couple spots here in the book of John just to see what Jesus is saying about loving one another. I would do the whole Bible. That gives you a bigger, fuller view of what love is for one another. Uh, we don't have that kind of time. So we'll stick to John because it's, uh, it's very, very helpful. So we are to love one another. The three ways that I'm going to look at this if, you, uh, if you're a note-taker and want some outline here, uh, that we're to love one another. The three points that we'll touch on is that they will know you are my disciples by your unconditional love, by our ordered love, and by our others-focused love. By unconditional love, by ordered love, and by others-focused love. We'll go back to this text, verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, so just the idea. Let's think about the idea of love. So uh, if I love someone or something, uh, it, I, have to, I have to have like an object of my love. I know this is getting kind of nerdy, but uh, I, have to, I, like, I have to love something. I can't just love with no direction. There's always a direction of that love. So, um, so uh, just as uh, God has loved the Son, so the Son has loved us, so we are to love one another. So what I want to look at first is this idea of, of, of what are the one another's. So what is that object of love? If, if Jesus is saying, make your object of love one another, what is that? Like, what, what are we talking about? What are you and I? How, how do we do that? Because, because I think a lot of times, even as a pastor, I, I mean, I look out, I see all of you, there are times that it's been hard for me to love other people. In this church, in my family, it's been hard for me to do that. And if my love is conditional based on that disagreement or that different view or that different circumstance, my love drops away. We're called to this unconditional love. How can we get 
to that. Because that's not the love that we have. We don't have the love of each other because therefore go and love everyone that looks and acts just like you. Like that's very conditional. That's preferential. There's an unconditional. We got to strip that away a bit. Maybe the question I want to ask Jesus is if we're supposed to love like you, why do you love people? (laughs) Why do you love all people? Because you grew up Jew, it seems like you shouldn't love the Samaritans. But for some reason, you have a different kind of love than we do. So when we look at how Jesus loves other people and why Jesus loves other people, I think one way we can do this, this isn't the only reason, but one avenue that we can go through is this idea of the image of God. We'll see that Jesus loves all who are made in the image of God. We can go to the next text here. Uh, this is Genesis 1, 26 through 27. This is at the very beginning of the Bible. This idea of love, the value, the inherent worth of people and the worthiness of them to be loved comes here in the image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's so sweet. This idea of the image of God, it brings us to a a universal reality that all of us here have this image of God in us. Now, some of us may be really intelligent. I mean, okay, let me say that again. Some of you may be really intelligent. <laughs> uh, some of you may uh, be, be, be really wealthy. Some of you may be really gifted in things other than intelligent, uh, intelligence. But th- that may be an expression of the image of God, but that's not what makes you worthy. And see, see, your worth and your worthiness of being loved comes from the very essence of being. <laughs> you're, you're, you're being created. You are created in the image of God. And that levels the playing field. I can love a Peter who is out of control all over the map because the image of God is in him and it is good and it is lovely. I can love a Judas even if he's a crook, even if he's greedy even if he's a liar and a betrayer, because there's an image of God in him. There is dignity and worth in that. It's so hard for me sometimes, this, the spirit of our age. We'll get back to this in a moment as well. The spirit of our age says that people are worth something because of what they do. Uh, and, and so we try and we try. We're in North Liberty. A lot of us are on that try, try, try uh, course, uh, career path. That isn't what makes us worth loving. That isn't what makes our our work worth doing. It's the fact that we are created and we have dignity in ourselves. And we haven't even got to this idea of being a Christian or not. We're just talking about people. So there's a a verse that uh, that we we use for call to worship. We used it, uh, and and I'll refer to it. Um, Psalm 139. It says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's so true. That's so true. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. I think sometimes, though, the psalmist might cringe that we read this today. And I think sometimes, oftentimes, unfortunately, too many times, we read it to mean God thinks you're awesome and that's why he loves you. Uh, that's not what that verse means. It means that there's intention. There's, 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 there's a design. There's a dignity that is put in you. And then God gives some of those things that we call, this is a whole other conversation about, about theology, these things called the attributes of God, the communicable attributes of God. He gives us love so we can know love because he is love. He gives us goodness 
And we can do that. We can be that. We can create that because he is good. He gives us holiness. And that's one that we seek. We need the spirit for that one. Uh, He gives us all of these things, truth and justice. He gives us these things. We have in us this burning desire and and this design for these things. And so do all the people sitting around us. And that's a beautiful thing. Jesus can sit in this super awkward dinner party because he understands that these are all people created in the image of God who have perverted that image and need to be corrected and need to be forgiven. And that's how we need to enter into our relationships with each other. We're not able to unconditionally love one another as Jesus unconditionally loves us if we don't first ease off all of those extra things that we put on all of, those, uh, all of those things that cover up, all of the facades that, that try to make us look, uh, look uh, pretty enough or look uh, rich enough or look intelligent enough to be loved. I would love to see a church that thought this, like this actually was a thing, because you could speak it and you could say it, and you know, in the moment of the sermon, you probably feel a lot more oomph for it. But if we were really that church, my goodness, it'd be incredible what we could do. People just came in and it's like, oh, hey, you're here. We love you unconditionally. Welcome. And that'd be great. That'd be awesome. That's different. We don't get that. Even when we go to things like, uh, we go to sporting events or whatever, we're all wearing the same thing. There still isn't that feel there. Like there's, there's something about it that, yeah, we're all united somehow, but that feeling isn't there. Christ and God, that's the only place that, that that's really there because it speaks to that soul. I know this worth and your glory because because it's different than the rest of the world. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you can put the next, next slide up. Unconditional love begins with the right understanding that all people have dignity because all people bear the image of God. So, we'll only be deep here for a little bit a little bit longer here. Right now, we're, we're hitting pretty hard this idea of anthropology, the, uh, the, the ology of people, the, um, the, the theology of, of what God, uh, how God views and how the Bible uh, explains people to us. I think that we need to understand this because we need to know rightly the object of love, that people are image bearers of God, and we can love that in any situation. We need to understand that before we start to move out towards what do we do today. Because I think sometimes we're off on that. Oftentimes we're off on that view of people. So then our love is misdirected. So right now, we're pretty deep there. But we need to be there. And I'll just say it this way. I'm going to say this a couple times. You need to see people as Jesus saw people. If you are to ever rightly love non-contributing, unintelligent, unpleasant, unteachable, and unkind people. You need to see people as Jesus saw people if you are ever to rightly love non-contributing, unintelligent, unpleasant, unteachable, and unkind people. So what I want to do right now is an exercise. The sermon is going interactive right now. Um, If you are better than me and you're not judgmental like me, you didn't think of somebody that I just described. Uh, So I'm going to read it again, and I actually want you to think of somebody you would describe this way. Don't say it out loud in case it's the person next to you. It gets really awkward. It gets super awkward. Uh, But we'll have a dinner party. Maybe we'll just do this. (laughs) At the potluck. Oh, man. Everyone wants to stay for that now. Um, 
Okay, so, uh, okay, so think about this. Okay, here, think of a person right here. Think of a person that you right now, acknowledging in your judgmental heart, would call non-contributing, unintelligent, unpleasant, unteachable, or unkind. All right, we're going to pray for them right now. You are going to pray for them, but you're not really going to pray for them. You're going to pray for yourself. You are going to pray that God would help you to see them not as all the things you just thought of them as, because that's probably a really difficult person for you to talk to. You're going to pray that God would change your heart so you would see them as an image bearer of God and that you would have love for them unconditionally. So let's take a moment and we'll pray. We'll keep moving on in the sermon, but let's take care of business now. God, hear our prayer. God, help us to align our love to your love. Give us patience with ourselves that we don't get there as quickly as we want to. Give us urgency with ourselves that we need to get there. Thank you for this challenging call. We know it's for our good. Amen. They will know you are my disciples by your unconditional love. They will know you are my disciples by your ordered love. This is going to take us to John 15, 9, and 10. John 15, 9, and 10, Jesus speaks of this kind of love uh, for, us, uh, for others. As we've said, unconditional love begins with the right understanding that all people have dignity because all people bear the image of God. Uh, Christ is the point and pattern of our love. You're going to hear that a lot here. Christ is the point and pattern of many things. Today, he's the point and the pattern of our love. Jesus is the point of our love and that he is glorified when we unconditionally love one another. So in the act of loving one another, he is glorified by when people see him. All people will know, and I will be glorified when they see you doing this. Uh, but Jesus is the pattern of our love because he models this unconditional love for us to imitate. And though unconditional love is for all, right love is limited in scope. It's not Christ-centered love if we love everything. There are limits to our love. Not the limits to the people that we love, but the limits of how we love. John 15, 9 through 10 helps us with this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments then you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So obedience here, you see, if you keep my commandments, obedience is a conditional prerequisite to abiding, to abiding love. I'll say that a different way. Keeping his commandments is part of God's love. It's not love to endorse everything, every thought, every word, every deed. We can't, we don't do that. That's not what love is. That's something different. That's entitlement. That's, I don't know, just unthoughtful endorsing. (laughs) Uh, uh, Ordered love speaks truth and love for the benefit of all. You see, going back to the spirit of the age, the spirit of the age, this was difficult for us. This was a really hard one for us. Now, like I sense, maybe I'm wrong, uh, and maybe this is a prophetic word. I don't know. Uh, Uh, So I I sense that there's this like pendulum between law and love that swings back and forth throughout the centuries. 
And we've been really towards the end of last century, turning the corner there, really high on love, like love everything, except like people that are intolerant, like don't love them, but love everyone else. Uh, so go there. So you get where I'm going. I don't want to go in that conversation. Uh, and, and, it, and, and then the, the pendulum's kind of swinging back. And, and we're starting to see this with uh, uh, um, Senate hearings. Uh, we're starting to see this with, with, with Me Too movements, Black Lives Matter. We're starting to see this thing like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to like rein it in. Like we're a little crazy on our love. We need to rein it in and we're swinging towards law. I don't know where we're at. Maybe I'm wrong in this. Um, but if we don't stop at a balance, we're going to get really weird on the law side. I don't know where we're at in that. That's why I keep moving my hands like this because I don't want to be like, ah, this is my pastorly judgment on our Senate hearings. Nah, that doesn't matter. They're an expression of the spirit of age turning towards this, this law side. And I think that it'll pick up some speed and all of a sudden everyone's going to be evil and guilty. And that's where the big thing is, is we're shifting to a culture where you're either innocent or guilty. There are people that are innocent and there are people that are guilty. And that's how we think about, uh, and that spirit of the age is now affecting, that's how we think of our lives as Christians. Like it's going to feed into that. That's not entirely what it is. That's not entirely what we see. That's one aspect of the gospel, but, but, but our but our, but our situation in life is, is changing this. And so it's really hard then for us to balance, like, what do we do then? How do I obey commandments? How do I do this? And, and Christ brings in a balance to this idea of law and love. Christ says that there's purpose in our love. And it's not crazy out there, you know, all one world, world peace, everything will work that way. I think that that's a wonderful thing. I think that's a thing for the end of Revelation, but we can try for it. That's great. But we kind of lost our brains there a bit. And now we want to get it back and we're going to lose our brains on the law side that we hate everybody and everyone's guilty and a bully. And we don't even think about it. Everyone is the evil one. Christ brings something in for us in the midst of our loves. We can love each other because we have the image of God. We can love that in people, but we can then speak to those things on the outside of it. We can speak to that in truth and love. The Apostle Paul picks this up rightly, and he develops this in a fantastic way. You can go to the next slide. Ephesians four fifteen to 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I made it really obvious on those slides what the point is. Love is a point here. There's a constructive love that happens here. If I just endorse people for whatever they do, then that's not love. That's like anarchy or something. Uh, It's chaos. But this line up here at the beginning, and I'll get a little nerdy on it, speaking the truth in love, it literally is truthing in love. As you go about truthing in love, love is the thing conditioning the truth. As you go about telling the truth to people, there is a truth, there are limits. Do it in a loving way. As you go about doing this, and if you truth in love this way, that's how you can build people up. That's how we build up the body of Christ. That's how you'll know. So for me to say, eh, you think you're entertaining divorce. That's great. I love you. Go for it. Well, the Bible told me we can't go about it that way. 
We need to assess this. We need to talk about this a little differently. We need to approach this whole conversation differently. You know, oh yeah, this, uh, this alcoholism, this is a thing. I love you. Let's work on it. It's going to be a long journey. No, get after it. <laughs> and we don't do that. We're Midwesterners, so we have a really hard time with truthing in love. We just lovingly say things that sound true and, I don't know, offset them to somebody else. Own it. If you believe in Christ, he says do this because it's the best thing you can do for each other. It's how you're built up. And so we need to go there. Uh, I've said this uh, many times in the last couple of months, but I keep saying it not because I have lack of material for preaching, but because it's so important. I hope the repetition is something that means that it's important. Um, It's this idea of truthing and love. I just package this into the idea of encouragement. We need to be a place that encourages each other. We need to be a people of encouragement. Encouragement has two different trajectories. One is affirmation and one is rebuke. When you see the goodness of God, when you see things that are in line, speak the truth and love to each other. Encourage each other and say, ha, you're doing a great job and you're following what this says. This is amazing. I uphold this. This is wonderful. Rebuke is a big, mean word, but it's a good word. It's one that says, brother, sister, I want to speak the word of truth into you. I want to do it lovingly. You need to come back. You need to come back to this. You need to be a part of what's good and right. We need you here. This is encouraging. This is what we do as we have ordered loves with one another. The world will know you because you do this. This is not what we normally do in community. Not normally what we do in conversations in workplace or anywhere else. The community of Christ is a special space to do this. And we need to do this with each other. Now, what we're doing here, how does this function? On Sunday morning, we spend time uh, with our kids. We, we spend time with each other. We're out in the foyer. We're in the classrooms. We're going to have a potluck. I don't know if this is the place to be like, hey, let's sit down. Oh, that's a really good casserole there. By the way, tell me about your affair. You know, like, da, 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 da. <laughs> not the right place. Um, we build that bridge of relationship because we can't properly truth and love each other if we don't have that bridge of relationship built. Before we test the strength of it, we need to build it up. That's what we're doing here. So you do have purpose on Sunday morning. And this is not a pastor's plug that we need more attendance. This is a pastor's plea to, this is where you get that. You can't just watch the sermon online. You can't just go to all these different places. You, you got you to gotta commit to a people and dig into their lives. You got to be here with people on Sunday because this is where that relationship is built. And then we go out into other places. Community groups are a fantastic place on that. Thank you with your patience in this season. We've got a lot of them going together, uh, getting put together and launching and starting. And it's good. We're getting some good momentum on these, uh, these community groups. If you still want to be a part of one, write on the Connect card and we'll get you plugged in. We've got a good plan and we're rolling with it. Get connected in those. If you want a subset of that, if you want to, if you want, um, uh, to get some people together that you, are, you have a prayer group or prayer partners, do that. That's where that formation happens. It's good to be taught and abu- uh, rebuked and encouraged and affirmed in truth and love. God gives us a space in this and this space is in the community of Christ, in the body of Christ. And then there's one more small note that I'll make here. That you will know, they will know your only disciples by your unconditional love, by your ordered love, but also by your others' focused love. 
So even though it says that the body is there to build itself up, it's not entirely the case that there are others with us building us up. It's not an egotistical thing. John 15, 12 through 13 says it this way. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ is the ultimate pattern of our love. And this love, this laying down our life is oftentimes not convenient. It's oftentimes not pleasant. It is truly a sacrifice. And I want to clarify before I show a couple places where we are actively doing this and invite you to be a part of that. I want to clarify that this others-focused love, uh, words are good, and I'm going to use these as an illustration. Don't like take them and think that's the whole thought on the word. Sometimes we think of our love towards the world as charity or generosity, as though it's ours to give, as though it's, as, as though it's, it's, it's a, a charity case that needs some help, as though there is an uncontributing, needy person on the other end, or that our good is so stinking good that it's worth sharing and people need it. I would encourage us, as we are an other fo- a church of other-focused love, to think maybe more on the lines of stewardship and rightly ordered love, that we are conduit of God's graces, that they, that they pass through us to others. He is hospitable to us, so we just do the same thing. We, we, don't, we don't have, I've said this before, we don't have a hospitality team so much here because y'all are it. <laughs> if we're doing this thing right, it makes sense that you guys are it. Here are a couple places I think that these things are done really well. I'll describe them in the terms of the words that we're using today. We will best affect North Liberty and the surrounding area if we labor with the love of Christ to uphold and restore the image of God in each person. That's best done through Christians with the help of the Spirit, but it still can be done with those who continually refuse Christ. One area, Safe Families, does this. They view, hey, what I love about Safe Families is, is Brett and the whole crew there, they, they, they view their work not as work to needy charity cases, but they view their work as, 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 as an extension of Christianity to image bearers requesting justice and hospitality. Like that's very much, that's a different thing. Faith Academy on, on the East Campus does this incredibly well. Not ministering to underprivileged kids and families, but, but, but working alongside image bearers as they learn the truths of the gospel and skills for lives. I mean, you talk to Pastor Doug over there on East Campus, and that's, that's right where he's at. And he is, he's got that idea so well hammered out. Faith Academy is not an exercise in charity. It's the work of the church in bringing up image bearers well. Uh, something that Heartland has done and, uh, and, and now Parkview North has continued to do is uh, serve just a couple miles down the road is, uh, is a, uh, a retirement community uh, there called Keystone Chapel. Uh, once, a, once, a, once a month, uh, I go up and I preach, preach there um, in the afternoons, three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and we could think that, oh yeah, this is, we're checking the box on the demographic, right? We're, uh, we're, 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 we're serving old people. That's not what it is. Uh, we, are, we are helping image bearers worship together. And these image bearers are displaced from their church family. 
just sitting down and having coffee with them, man, they're just moving. I mean, it's like you live your whole, I mean, you can imagine this. You, you, you live your whole life somewhere, and 60 years later, you get in a bag, shake it up, and throw them out and be like, worship God now. And we help them with that. It's so safe. It's such a wonderful thing. It's so beautiful. I'd encourage you to sign up for that. If that's something you want, we've not promoted that too much in the last month or so. We've had a lot of other things to promote. But I'd encourage you, if you, if you want to do something like that, if you bake cookies, if you want to serve coffee, if you want to uh, lead uh, a prayer or uh, a few songs, I know April uh, helps out with the, with the music. I know several other people have helped out. Our youth group has gone last year to help out. If you want to, if you're a teacher, you're gifted that way, and you can share a word for 15 minutes. Man, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful thing to be with the saints and give them a place where they see something normal, and it, it allows them to kind of cut away and worship God rightly. Uh, also, there's, a, there's, there's something we've done before in English class. I think, I think sometimes an English class seems like a, a great way to minister to the nations and to help them so that they can uh, be contributors in society. But I think, uh, I think an English class is a great example of ministering to image bearers who happen to be in a strange land needing strange language, and ours is very strange, uh, to live well. This is kind of a shift in the way that missions work, in the way that community works. This is something that I want to invite you into is to consider this as Parkview North Church family. How do we do this in a way that shows, how do we do life? How do we do ministry? How do we do mission and community and, and service and all those things in a way that really sees the image of God there as we're called to view each other as we love one another? The activity will come. The love will come. We really need to hard shift on how we view others so that we can love rightly as Christ loves us. John fifteen seventeen. It's not on a slide. I'll just have you receive this and we'll close. John fifteen seventeen. Jesus caps, uh, puts a capstone on all this teaching. He says, these things, all these things that I'm telling you, I command you so that you will love one another. So many times we're told love one another. Let's consider our love of each other and consider each other deeply and ongoingly. I'm going to end here with a prayer. Uh, I'm actually going to be praying a prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. This will close us out. I've changed some of the words. This is a prayer that Jesus has for the love that he wants in us. John, uh, John 17, 20 through uh, 26. You'll, if you're following, you'll note that I uh, changed many of the words here. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you reveal to us your love uh, in, in, in a few words that are very potent, in a few powerful words that, that call us to action uh, and, uh, and call, call us to pause. We pray that as we, uh, as we wrestle with this idea of one another, as we wrestle with, uh, with, with loving one another rightly, that you will help us with that. Uh, in the words of Jesus, for our people, I pray also for those who have and who will believe in Jesus Christ, that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in Christ and Christ is in you. May they also be in you so that the world may believe that you have sent Jesus. He has given your people the glory that you gave Christ, that we may be one as you are one, Christ in us and the Father in Christ, so that we, your people, may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent Jesus and have loved them even as you have loved your son. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, Christ knows you. 
And we know that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ. He has made you known to us and will continue to make you known in order that the same love you have for your Son may be in us and that Christ himself may be in them.